Starting, scaling, and exiting a business is hard. So why do some companies achieve seven, eight, and nine-figure exits while others struggle To answer these questions, we sit down with top entrepreneurs who have exited for more than $10 million or currently run $10 million-plus businesses and grow until they share their proven tactics and strategies. Welcome to Beyond 8 Figures. Richie Ote hanging out. What is up, my man, Richie Ote? What's going on? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Happy New Year, and uh, White Wade's got it under control in the studio, and uh, Kelly Clinton's got it under control back at headquarters, and we are just super, super excited here to feature all kinds of interesting folks in 2019 on Beyond Eight Figures, where we go really deep with folks who have either exited for more than eight figures or currently run businesses that generate more than eight figures annually, and we grill them until they share their tactics and strategies and shortcuts and all the fun things that they are doing and have done to get to where they are. So I got to tell you, it's um, it's just been it's been a really interesting go here uh, over the last little while to to be able to pick the brains of uh, of just so many incredible entrepreneurs. And today's show is certainly going to be. No exception, uh, because we are fortunate enough to be joined by uh, a gentleman from down under. And, uh, of course, money finds its way all around the globe. And, uh, and it's just interesting to me how, you know, needless to say, we, we do our best to, to scour the planet and find just some really interesting folks. And, you know, we're based here in the States, and it's interesting to uh, just to kind of look at, you know, how much is going on here. But we sometimes forget... We sometimes forget that, you know, there are people making really great money all over this planet. And, uh, and that's part of what we'll be doing in 2019 as well is trying to bring in uh, more folks from different parts of the globe uh, who are doing all sorts of, uh, of very interesting things in their own rights, uh, again, in, in different places around the world as well. So today's guest, Mike O'Hagan, uh, is joining us. Well, actually, t- t- speaking of which, I think you're actually in New York right now, aren't you, Mike? Indeed, a big apple for the uh, apple dropping down for the start of the new year. Oh, man, nothing like bringing them in the new year with a lot of cold and rain. How'd you enjoy that? Ah, the opposite of where I come from, absolutely <laughs> the opposite. It's <laughs> like 95 yes, degrees in Australia right now, Fahrenheit. Oh, well, I've got to say, it, it's not cold, it's freezing. Totally different concept altogether. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you checked it off the bucket list. You'll never be going back to New York for the uh, for the big apple drop. <laughs> yeah, that one's checked. <laughs> that that one's checked. Pretty safe to say. But, uh, but so, what? Uh, let's just start here because uh, you know you've, you've been up to a number of different things over the years. Uh, you've had a lot of success. I'm sure you've had some. Uh, well, let's just uh, let's just call them learning experiences, and we'll get into uh, as much of that as we possibly can here. But. For those uh, who are wondering how you meet the criteria right out of the gate, we try to answer that question uh, so that there are no uh, – we don't have to answer that one again here. But how, how do you meet the criteria for the show? Did you exit uh, a business for more than $10 million, or do you currently run a business that grosses more than 10 uh, My business is combined at the moment gross around about $30 million, about and 30. that's probably how I meet the criteria. Mm-hmm. And have you exited from a business at any point? Uh, only minor exits. I've, mainly, I've kept them. Uh, I am a large believer in uh, cash flow to fund a lifestyle, uh, not to build an asset and flip it. Interesting. So, 
All right. So again, Mike O'Hagan is joining us here today. Mike, you've got so a few different companies, uh, and they're all very, very different. And actually, they're all located in different places as well. So there's there's a lot that we can talk about here uh, because there's so much that we can learn, not only in terms of how do you build a, a successful business in more than one industry, but but how do you operate multiple successful businesses at the same time? And how do you do that when they're located in different places? So, I mean, there's just so much to this, and I'm really excited to jump into the conversation. But let's start with, uh, of the businesses that you have, and why don't why don't you name the businesses first? Let's do that. Okay, so um, I've got a, a moving business in Australia called Mini Movers. I've had that for thirty five years. I started that with two hundred dollars, and um, today that uh, has about four hundred and fifty people working in it. Um, and the gross annual a, ramp, what, what, what's the annual revenue for that one right now? Uh, around about twenty three million. Okay. Yep. Um, I have a workspace and people business in the Philippines, um, a new business. I've had that for three years. Um, they turn out the revenue for that is running at around about seven million. And just so I'm clear, so that one, so that one's called Shore 360. Is that right? That that's Shore 360. That's correct. And what what does Shore do? I'm not sure. I'm clear on that. Well, we provide. Um, we tap into the the the. Uh, uh, the fact that Filipino wages are dramatically lower than all the Western world wages, yeah. their education system is high. So we hire Filipinos and put them in workspaces and Western businesses tap into that. They can develop their own team of workers and we supply the infrastructure. We supply the work, the, the office space, help with the people, put them together. But they are working directly for the Western businesses. And so that's it's massive, great growth. And I guess, for lack of a better term, we would call that here like a VA type system, or well, or is it yeah, more than VA that? Yeah, VA is probably a, a little bit smaller than what it is. A lot of these are a lot more highly skilled than, than general workers. They could be engineers and design people. Um, just about anything that's facing a computer, we've got in those, in those spaces. So it's not just the low end. VA's stuff was probably ten years ago. It's I changed quite, quite dramatically since then. Okay, and and you have a third business as well. Uh, yeah, I have a, a marketing business called Shaw Marketing, which spins on the other side of part of it there, but a separate business called, and we just do digital marketing and that. That has about 40 people in it, a fairly new startup, been running for about two years. And what's in the fact, revenue? In I've, th- I've got three of them. I've got three of them that, that are running in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I don't know what the revenue in that is, to be honest with you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's got about, it has about 40 employees. I know, I know it by employee numbers, not by revenue mm-hmm. numbers. Mm-hmm. I have a web building business uh, which is running at about twenty people. Um, they, they, that uh, is a reasonably two year startup as well. And I have a an integration business. Um, we um, have a uh, um, some uh, fifteen or so very high end uh, geeks um, coding people, and we uh, make computer programs talk to each other or integrate with each other. So we do integration basically in Net in in, in Netsuite. Um, but uh, Salesforce and all sorts of things like that, we make them talk to other programs and all work with each other. Hmm. And my last one is an education business, which is the only one I actually work in day to day. Uh, I have an education business where I take Westerners into the Philippines, um, show them around, show them what to do and what not to do, show them what's happening, and basically show them some 
ideas so they can structure and build new businesses and also how to use the Philippines to the best advantage for themselves. And that, and that one, do you know generally what the revenue is on that one? Uh, no, I don't know what the revenue would be on that. Probably probably in the order of about half a million or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting concept. So if people are looking to do things in the Philippines, maybe they're based here in the States, you actually take them on a, on a tour of what's possible, I guess, in, in the Philippines. Then, or is that correct? Absolutely. It's a three-day intensive tour. Mm. We visit two different cities. We go to probably 20 or maybe sometimes a few more than that uh, different businesses where Filipinos are working for Western businesses, all different, all varied. We talk and all structurally different. There's, when you're using, when you're a Western business and you want to use a country like the Philippines, there's a whole lot of different ways you can structure it. So I teach all the different ways you can structure it uh, and uh, I show what they're doing. I also talk about the failures and what doesn't work. Uh, so it's an overall sense of, it's a pure education, 100% education. I keep away from um, pushing any particular product or any particular service. I just try and stay as neutral as I can. Mm -hmm. Can and um, it's pure education. And out of that, most people on tour change their business strategies reasonably dramatically after what they see they can do. And when they get new ideas that they can add onto their business as well. And pre-startups a lot come up and um, get ideas for actually starting whole new businesses. There's a massive great boom opportunity right now in this particular area. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, Richie. Do you use your Shore 360 as kind of the umbrella for those other three companies? To well, actually, believe it or not, I use my Australian mini movers business, my moving business, because my mini movers, um, my moving business got into a little bit of strife with what, what I think the Americans call the recession, mm -hmm. uh, which we call the GFC, the global financial crisis. So, um, you know, we move furniture direct door to door house loads uh, just doing furniture moving and of course with the big downturn we got hit pretty hard mm. and uh, I had to step in and sort of rescue the company and the main way I rescued it was to move a lot of the back end processes to the Philippines um, and the tour is actually the story of how we did it, what we did wrong, what we did right and how, how it all worked out. So we visit the two places that Mini Movers operates in the Philippines and we tell a story of how that, so that underpins the whole thing. Is the actual story that I've actually done it and what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And then I guess where I'm going, though, is then if people like that and like that story, then that Shore 360 kind of houses the ability to do those other things, like the, whether it's the digital marketing or or um, what was the third one? The, oh, like website development and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, webs and integration. Yeah, look, they do. Um, a lot, some people on the tour use Shore 360. We visit a whole lot of other places they can use as well, and it's up to them as to what suits their particular business because each one's got a different take. Different, every business exists to a little niche, so you've got to line the niches up to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So let, let's, let's go back. I just want to take a couple of steps back because – Part of what we try to uncover here on the show is really what makes the difference between somebody who has an idea and they start with that idea and, you know, maybe they take it to five figures, maybe they take it to, to six figures, but getting to seven or eight figures and beyond, I mean, takes a, it, it's, a, it's a very unique type of person that can take a business to, to certainly eight figures and beyond. So what I'm, what I'm trying to understand is mini movers, right? You started out with just a couple hundred bucks. 
and an idea. Take us back through the embryonic stages. So did you have did you have a, a van that you that you rented and you just were like, hey buddy, let me let me move your stuff? Like how how did all of that begin? Probably pre-mini movies is the best way to describe it. It's not my first business. My my first business I, I went, I started at the age of uh, 28, mm-hmm. and it was uh, in was in furniture, it was in buying and selling furniture. Mm. So I um, I had this, this store that brought and sold furniture. Um, it was very keen, very naive in, in many ways, and I went into business because I wanted to be my own boss. I think a lot of people transition from employment to owning a business for that, that reason. I'm not sure it was a very good reason. And... Um, I'd done that, and I was working seven days a week, uh, probably uh, doing a 90-hour week, having three days off a year, meeting um, major public holidays. And whilst I was never made a loss or wasn't hard up for a dollar, I was re- in reality I was only earning about the same amount of money as my staff who were only working a 40-hour week. Um, and I did that for about six years before I became very frustrated and quite angry uh, with everybody, including myself, uh, and at the age of 34, I sat down and thought about, why am I doing this? Um, you know, it's very easy in life to, to go through and go through the education system and go through the, the cultural and family influences and just simply follow the path and just do what everybody else is doing. And that's kind of what I'd done. And by doing that, I'd never sat down and thought about what is it I really want out of life. And um, at the age of 34, working 90 hours a week, slaving away in this business, I suddenly realised I actually like what I see inside the TV, the TV box. Uh, I see big houses, fast cars, uh, large boats, and a jet-style lifestyle. And I, I worked out that that's actually what I want. I hadn't really thought about that before, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just out there peddling, peddling like anything, but getting nowhere because I didn't know where I was heading. And um, as I thought that through, I thought, well, the business I've got is not doing that because I don't have time to do anything. I'm working all the time. And I came to the I came to the conclusion that if I really want that, the only way I'm going to do it is to develop a business, a business where everybody else is doing it for me. I don't have to do anything. A business that provides two things for me, a, a whacking great big cash inflow every week and the ability and ability for me to decide what to do with my time every day. And uh, so I started playing with my furniture business to see whether I could scale it up, uh, grow it. But it had some restrictive things in place that were making that impossible to happen. Mm -hmm. So I started looking around for other ideas. And the reason I tell that story is that Mini Movers grew specifically because it was designed to grow from the day I started it. It's my mindset. I, I, I picked that business because it had all of the criteria in place so that I could grow and scale it. Mm-hmm. And um, quite by accident one day, uh, a, a lady, um, a friend of mine, um, needed a move done in a big hurry. Uh, the traditional removal company said let her down. Moving company said let her down. She'd gone out and no, 35 years ago. The only way you could move was on a fixed-price quotation. She'd done all that uh, stuff that they normally do. Uh, she rang me in the morning at 6 o'clock in the morning and asked me if I knew anybody could move her. I said, uh, listened to her story. She was moving at 10 o'clock that morning, settling the property, the realty property. She was buying and selling both properties on the same day or settling both properties on the same day. And um, I realised that I had a spare small truck 
and a couple of guys there and said to her, look, I don't know anybody else that could do it, but I could probably do it. I've got a truck and a couple of guys. How about I just charge you an hourly rate and move you? Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't really want to do that, but she didn't have any choice. Mm-hmm. And I sent these guys out to do it. And um, she rang me back that day and said, well, that was amazing. It cost me half what I had been quoted. And your guys turned it into a wonderful experience. They did everything plus more. And she had a wonderful experience. And out of that, I suddenly realized, well, there's a big opportunity in the market here. There's a different way of doing it than what's being done. It's been a cheaper way of doing it than what's being done. It was profitable. Um, it had all the hallmarks. So I went off and did some market research and discovered there's a massive great market in people moving short distances. It's not being serviced properly. Mm-hmm. This is 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity just existed. And by then, it was just a matter of virtually putting an advertisement in a, in a newspaper and getting more work and buying another truck and getting more work and buying another truck and systemizing it and making mistakes and learning from the mistakes and fixing it and molding it into a structured process and then systemizing it. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. So just kind of going back then to those uh, initial stages of getting another truck and getting uh, you know, more guys on board. So did you, did you bring in outside capital? How did you pay for the other trucks? Like, I'm just trying to figure out, like, when you started to scale this thing, what, was it a matter of just going to a bank and saying, hey, we've got 30 moves already scheduled, we need more trucks? How, how did you do it? Well, when I started the business, it was the middle of a downturn. Uh, it was a, the, the market, the, the overall economy was pretty bad and people were, were sort of going broke everywhere. And there were a lot of, guys out there who had gone and financed trucks for various reasons and didn't have any work for them. And what I discovered is that I could go and rent those trucks off them, not the guys themselves, because they weren't suitable for what I needed. I'd find a guy who was in financial difficulty, he was behind with his payments, and I'd say, look, I'll just rent it off you. You can start making money next week. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I virtually rented trucks off people that were doing it tough. Help them, help me, means I didn't have to extend or borrow any capital and take any risks. So yeah. I didn't take risks. The trucks were quite easily. Uh, I did that for probably about um, probably 10 years. And then one of those guys had got quite clever and he'd brought a few trucks and he decided one day to move out and become my competitor. Mm. And that triggered me to go to the bank and say, well, look, I've been operating this business for 10 years. I don't own the trucks. I want to finance the whole thing and just buy the trucks. And of course, the 10 year business with good numbers, the bank, had no hesitation but then to turn around and suddenly I appeared to everybody in this big fleet of brand-new trucks out of nowhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from a marketing perspective, what, what were you doing to to attract customers then during during those years? Were you – I mean, this is – you're talking about the 90s, right, at this point? Yeah, and, and mid, mid-80s, mid-80s, mid to late-80s. Yeah. I think 86, 87. Was, 85 was actually no, – 85 was when we started it. Okay. Um, Look, any, any home service business, really, the marketing comes from doing a good job and having the clients tell other people about you. And that's one of the reasons that had a, the growth on it was just a, a steady upward curve and was the fact that we were generating, a, the main generator of work was us doing a good job and other people talking about us and referring the work to us. Uh, that meant that a lot of people ringing up to use us contacting us to use us weren't weren't talking to anybody else because everybody said oh just use mini movers just use mini movers so they'd ring us up and we could charge a premium for that 
uh, which we which we certainly did. Mm-hmm. Um, the source of work in those days, of course, was the Yellow Pages book. Sure. Um, in fact, I can share with you that in two thousand and seven. In Australia, we were spending $1.2 million per year in the Yellow Pages books. That's several cities. Really? Jesus. Yeah, multiple multiple pages in several cities. And that was working for us beautifully. Naturally, by 2010, that had completely stopped. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't use them to hold doors open anymore. So Mm -hmm. um, it's door stops. So it had to change. So the early marketing really was the Yellow Pages. It was that... um, Certainly, right at the very start, it was local newspaper advertising, which, in fact, doesn't really bring in the ideal client. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of tie kickers come in that way. But, um, you know, you you just do lots of things and you just try things. And if they work, you do them more. If they don't work, you don't do them anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, $23 million or wherever you are, you know, at this juncture makes you, I would think, one of the largest moving companies in Australia. No, where, where does that put you on the spectrum? Uh, in the privately owned companies, in short distance moving, we are by far larger than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Um, Have you been approached to, I mean, you would think some of the, the publicly traded companies or some of the larger companies would come in and say, hey, you know, I mean, that's $23 million on an annual. That's, you know, that's a nice little clip for a moving company. Has anybody approached you? Yeah, yeah. Um, during the boom periods, it's quite normal. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting, being approached all the time. Um, but, you know, I built the business to, to provide a lifestyle for me. Mm-hmm. Just come back to the beginning. And, and and that's the focus. The focus is me and my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And my lifestyle requires a lot, very large cash cash flow in weekly and the ability and not consume my time so I can do whatever I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the focus. So why would I sell my cash flow? So let and let's talk about that. So, do you have a sense then, and you probably have a good sense on this one because this one's you've been running for so long. Do you have a sense of where the margins are on this, and what actually then flows to the bottom line? And do you have partners? Uh, no partners, a family though. I do mm-hmm. have the fa- it's family owned, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, it's transitioning over to my my children right at the moment. Mm. Um, it's it's manager run. Has been since. 2007, actually, I stepped out of the day-to-day in 2007. So since 2007, it's only been board meetings for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's manager-run. It has gone through a managing cycle where I tried to bring in corporate management at one stage, tried to build a, a non-exec board. Um, that failed on me. Mm-hmm. And then I peeled it back to just a family board and just going back to the way we used to do it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I understand the margin. The margins have moved over the years, and the market's moved quite a bit as well. And that's that's the challenge the business has today. The challenge the business has today is staying relevant with lots of copycats. So I'm going – the cycling of business I'm going through now is copycat stage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where I have all these copycats coming and doing what I'm doing. So on on the 23, uh, do you, generally what, what ends up flowing then to the family on that? Uh, probably uh, r- roughly around about 10%. Okay, so it's a nice net, yeah. And obviously with no partners and it goes straight to the family, that'll help support that that lifestyle that you were looking for. Now, in terms of the competitive landscape, and you said things are getting more competitive and it becomes almost like a zero-sum game. I mean, it's a little bit of a commodity, right? I mean, moving box A from box B is a commodity-oriented business. How do you how do you compete in a commodity game? Um, it comes down to the guys, people working for you. We We, we actually do a couple of things that are unique. Number one is we own all the trucks. Number two is we employ everybody as employees. 
Okay. Yep. Now, in the in our industry, it's normal to use subcontractors and in some cases franchisees have other people own the trucks. Mm-hmm. We don't. We own them and employ them. Mm-hmm. And the reason we do that is it t- lets us tap into a massive great workforce, potential workforce, that we can change very rapidly if we need to. So by tapping into employees, we can ramp numbers up down quickly, uh, very, very quickly, and we can train them uh, and train them to be very specifically to do it our way. So our employment uh, in that business is that we won't employ anybody who's had any experience whatsoever in that industry. We won't even, in Australia, you have to have a special licence to drive one of these trucks. We will not even employ them with a truck driver's licence. If they've got a truck driver's licence, we won't touch them. We only bring them in completely inexperienced and we train them to do it our way. So we've developed a really good training program, Hmm. a very, very good training program that ensures the quality of our work. It comes back to where I said before, home service industry, the key to all home service industries is is getting clients off customer base, referrals, Mm -hmm. repeat customers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you've you've got to control that workmanship level. And my way of controlling the workmanship level is simply to create them. Mm-hmm. So what are you hiring mostly for attitude then? Like, Yeah, yeah. We um, Attitude, uh, I think they tick certain boxes. Live in the, live in the local area, um, physically able to, to, to carry the goods, mm-hmm. able to hold a certain type of conversation and attitude. Mm-hmm. So are, are you... Now, if we can tick those four boxes, then we can... And, 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 and um, we can we can uh, lead you the way. The next thing they need to do, and this is a dropout rate, is they need to actually enjoy the job, and they don't know that until they start doing it. Mm-hmm. Are, are you rewarding the employees through any sort of stock ownership, or I mean, because again, in a commodity-oriented business, and granted, you take them in, you train them, and whatnot, but I mean, there's other options, right? I mean, there's other places for them to go. Now, hopefully, they're uh, they recognize what you've brought to the table and they recognize the fact that you've taken the time to train them and bring them up to speed here. But you know, at the end of the day, there's other, there's other options. So are you doing anything from, from an employee compensation or reward perspective that is unique? Do they get stock? Do, I mean, just take us through what, how you're holding on to these folks. <laughs> well, almost the opposite. Almost the opposite. Oh, I pay them less. I give them nothing. I berate them. I, I charge them extra for the I charge. Stuff. I charge them to work there. I can assure you the, 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 the culture in Australia is not too dissimilar to the USA. To get guys to do this type of job, you've got to pay good money. They just can't get them any other way. Yeah. Uh, um, so the money's got to be good. No, look, it's not a job for life. Uh, it's a physically tough job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I personally believe that somebody should do it for probably around about three years and then move on to something else. Mm-hmm. It's a good stepping stone job. So we recognize it as a stepping stone job. Uh, and uh, we uh, like them to come in and stay about three years and then happily uh, think it's a success if they move on somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some places that we like them to move to. There are allied industries like self-storage, etc. We love it when they move into those industries because in those industries they feed the work back to us, so we have programs to do that for us. Mm-hmm. But um, we just see it as a stepping stone. We're, we're giving these guys um, the skill to move furniture, the skill to deal with a customer, life skills and all the other skills that they often use to move on to another job, and we see that as part of our success. Um, so upside down, we don't want to keep them. We only want them about three years and move on after that. Interesting. So, 
Let, let me ask you this, because early on you mentioned something about the, the business meeting the criteria of what you look for in a business, and maybe you just said that and, and there was no rhyme or reason to it, but maybe there was actually a, a, a sort of a plan there or a structure or, like you said, checking the boxes that you look for. What, what did you mean by that business met the criteria? When I had my furniture business and decided that I needed to move on from that and find something else, I actually sat down and wrote a list. And I'm going to try and do this off memory. I haven't got sure. it notes in front of me for this one. But off I actually sat down and wrote a list. I needed a business that had the ability to scale up. So it had to have, you know, a big market available to it. So that was the first thing on the list. Mm-hmm. It had to uh, be something that people wanted, um, not something that people needed. It's, it's a little bit like inventions in a way. There's so many inventions out there that don't make it. And you look at the invention, you go, well, people need that, but the reality is people didn't want them. Mm. So you've got to understand the difference between need and want. Yeah. So it had to be something that people wanted, um, uh, that there was a clear way that I could be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've got to say to that one, that changes regularly. Every five or six years, we've virtually got to change the model to stay with the, the, the moves of how the markets are moving and how business is moving. Mm-hmm. Had to be something I could start without borrowing any money. I am conservative, conservatively very um, – I'm very conservative when it comes to, to borrowing money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I don't like it. Uh, I get rid of debt as soon as I can. Mm-hmm. I do not believe in leverage. Uh, I I just believe in owning everything and making a profit. Mm -hmm. So I'm really profit-orientated, ongoing, and, of course, have to be sustainable as well. Yeah. Um, Had to be something that I could do with with the assets and the skills and sets that I had at the time, and moving was quite simple. I already had a truck, and I actually had a little two-way radio system and and, and, and those sort of things. I already had everything in place. Hmm. You know, as I said, the first job I did on a moment's notice out of nowhere at six o'clock one morning. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I didn't have to think. I, I, I'm, I'm adverse to risk. Um, I've got this, there's, there's a bit of a myth out there that owning a business is risky. I've got to tell you that working for somebody on wages, in my opinion, would be a hell of a lot whisk, riskier, hmm. I would think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you can lose your job so easy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Pretty hard for me to lose my job. (laughs) And and it is interesting, and I think the point is well taken, that um, one of the criteria is that you can actually do what it is that you're you're selling. In other words, you know, if push comes to shove and you need to lift a box and put it onto a truck and drive that truck and go put it in somebody's house, like that is with the – granted, it doesn't – you know, most people can do that, but it's a skill set that you had, right? And so – No, no, no. I didn't know how to move furniture, and I've never moved furniture. I have never done a job. Mm. So I've you, never done a job. So in you fact, physically I've never, have never, I've never really, done it. apart from sales, I never really worked in this business. Interesting. I, I worked on it. I'm very much into systems, processes, and structuring, and building. Nowadays, we've got pretty amazing computer computer programs running the stuff and making all, making sure everything's glued together and works well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I've never, I've never moved a stick of furniture. I've never done a job. Uh, and to be honest with you, in the early days, we had to hire people with experience to bring that expertise into the business. You know, for instance, we move pianos and stuff like that. Well, that's, mm. a, that's a niche expertise that we had, to, we had to hire it in, and they taught us how to do it. We systemized it into the training, and now it's part of the training. Wow. 
But I've never done, I've never moved. In fact, none of the businesses I own do I actually know how to do any of them, except for the education business at the end, <laughs> which is me at the end. All right. But um, moving, I don't, uh, I don't believe in, I don't think, I, I follow the money, not, not, um, yeah, on that list of criteria was not that I needed to know how to do it. Ah, interesting. It had to be very a very clear opportunity, and then I had to be able to hire other people to do it. This idea that you need to know how to do it is why people become trapped in their business. Like my first business was my things where I was working 90 hours a week, earning the same amount of money as my staff were working 40 hours a week. That's mm. because I knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. And because I knew how to do it, I worked in it. Mm-hmm. So one of, the, one of the big evils out there is working in your business. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about scale for a second here, then, because and and Richie, I forget when we've spoken about this before, but I know we've talked about this before. Um, where one of the things that you have going for you, Mike, is you get into these households, and and getting into a household obviously is, I mean, that's like giving the the, the key to the holy grail. I mean, you've got trust. Yep. They let you in the house, and you know, and, and they trust you. Once they trust you, you can move into other opportunities, other offerings. I guess what I'm wondering is from a scaling perspective, is part of the plan to scale or is this something that you already do? Do you then offer some sort of complementary services or ongoing like alarm systems or something where you get a piece of recurring revenue? But it's, but it, but it's, in, the, but it's in the vertical, right? So it's household, yeah. it's in the vertical, and it just seems like there might be a huge opportunity there once you have your foot in the door. Only in the firm of direct add-on services to what we do. So we have a, a packing and an unpacking service, obviously, but that's 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 marketed alongside it. And we also um, sell uh, an awful lot of room, uh, boxes, packing boxes. Sure, sure. <laughs> that's a major operation as well. Yeah. Uh, I kind of do one thing and do it really well, mm-hmm. and just stay with the one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think you just really got to understand the market you're in and do that one thing and do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot from the downturn from from the uh, the 2010, 12, um, 9, 2009, 2010 downturn. Yeah. I learned that I had probably too many eggs in one basket. And I think that's the danger of what you're talking about there. You know, many movers took a huge dive. A massive great nosedive. It dropped from 500 staff down to 250. It's back up to 450 now. Um, and that was because I had too many eggs in one basket. So there is a little fair bit of purpose behind the fact that all these other businesses are not overly associated with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I, I needed to protect my income because my goal is my income and my lifestyle. I didn't want my I don't want my work my business to become a lifestyle. Yep. No, I That's tot- a trap. Yep. No, I totally hear you on that. And um, uh, so there's a reason that I've I've um, I've gone into other markets and indeed into other countries. Um, those other businesses are spread. Those businesses are spread across three different countries: Australia, Hong Kong, and the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's me. That's me taking insurance out against the future downturn. Yeah, so let, let so let's talk about that for a second. Although one more question around the moving business, and then I think we can get into the discussion around starting the other businesses, and of course they're being located in, in very different locations. How you manage that? And all. have you thought about? I mean, it seems like the mini movers concept is you know is is really really good, right? So have you have you been approached to license it out or take it to? other countries and just have franchises. And of course that would be 
ongoing revenue and, you know, what happens in the States doesn't nearly impact what would happen in Australia. You know what I mean? So you could license the brand, the idea, the name, the structure. Any thoughts around that? Uh, yeah, I, I was I was certainly going down that track. In fact, I was very much on that track. I exited in 2007, as I explained before. One of the things I did is I belonged to a, an organisation called Entrepreneurs' Organisation, EO, which is part of YPO, or not part of this, associated with YPO and WPO. And in EO, they have a, a three-year master's program at MIT uh, that I attended 2007, 8 and 9, um, and used that to to meet uh, some an American, uh, a Canadian actually, who operates in America, uh, in in the USA, um, with a franchise operation across, and, and the two of us together, we're going to step out and license this and spread it through uh, the USA. We're right on the cusp of doing it. We we had we had the heads agreements done. We're right on the cusp of doing it, and um, the GFC, of course, the the whole big crash and the banks, banking system and all that all happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it only took a few weeks for us to realise that this was big and it was it's not going to go away in a hurry. And one phone call, I, I rang him up and he and said, what's it look like? And he said, it looks really ugly in, in the USA. And I said, well, it looks even uglier here. And I said, well, there goes, we shelved the idea of, of licensing and branding it out. So at that point, my my focus left moving mini movers into other, other markets, other countries, into uh, personally breaking up and building my, my business empire out in different ways. Mm-hmm. So Mini Movers, is, um, it could do, but at this stage, uh, it hasn't got the will to do it, and I haven't got the, I'm not in there doing the push to push in that direction anymore. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about then the other entities, and they're located in different places. I mean, Hong Kong and the, the Philippines and so on. How, cool. how do you manage multiple businesses uh, albeit you said there's some relation between them, but it does seem like there's yeah, a, a bit of a difference between at least the main business and the other businesses. How hmm. how do you effectively own and operate businesses then in, in different industries uh, and in different locations? Mini Movers is a structured process that's extremely systemized. So I get a weekly, uh, one weekly report with a whole lot of numbers in it, uh, which consists of, I think, about 20 or 30 graphs, um, which are all benchmark stuff. Uh, we don't, I don't forward project. I don't, don't normally do um, budgets. I, I, work, I work on structure and against where I am now. I know exactly what I'm selling. I'm selling an hour. Uh, I know exactly what a truck, one of, one of trucks cost per hour, what my labour is per hour, what my marketing is per hour, and my overheads are per hour, and what the margin is at the top. And I can see that off a weekly report. Um, then we have a monthly, obviously, in a monthly set, set of financials. Uh, that comes to me probably once every two or three months. I might flick a an email back to the general manager and query something, but pretty well that's it. So it runs itself pretty well. Um, um, the other businesses have got partners, the uh, Shaw 360, um, Shaw Marketing, um, and the web business and integration business have partners in them, and those partners are actually working in them. And I'm t- I have a substantial um, shareholding, but don't work in them day to day. 
the education business, as I said before, I actually work in that one. It's the only one I actually work in. So with, in partnership, they run them. Once again, we get regular reports. Um, uh, it, uh, in most cases, weekly, if not um, definitely monthly as well, mm-hmm. and we run them off that. So do you, just so I'm clear here, do you own less than 51% of any of those businesses, or do you own a majority of all of those businesses? I would own about that on all of those businesses. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you ever, I mean, like, let's just talk about cash flow. I mean, in terms of literal, literal cash flow and cash coming in, cash coming out. I mean, if you don't have any active day-to-day with it, I, I assume you're not signing checks. I mean, there's a deposit that goes into you. I mean, if you get a $2.3 million net coming in off of the moving business, I assume every month you've got about 200 k hitting your account or whatever it works out to be. But are, are, outside of that, I mean, are you ever – how do you manage the cash? <laughs> it's just uh, – how about that? <laughs> Well, uh, I have a, I have a, finan- I have a financial a CFO uh, in the in the mini business. We have a, a good finan- a good accounting department who is CFO, and I have a, a, a an accountant that watches it, and um, it's all audited, and we watch it very carefully. Mm-hmm. We've never had fraud. Mm-hmm. And so you're watching. We watch it. Yeah. And so when you say you're watching it, you just you're watching the the bank accounts. You're just getting a, a daily report of, of transactions uh, what what does that look like when you say you're watching it no 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 we can watch it with the margins mm-hmm. we can so with the mini movers business it's extremely computerized now it's very very computerized you can't do anything without talking to the computer mm-hmm. it's very very difficult to fiddle it when you're that computerized mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it really is and we can see we can see we can see the the margins moving if anything happens mm-hmm and in but, fact, you know, when they they sell something or do something like that, it flips them, and then we then that comes up on a report. And we understand why that that margins just moved that little bit. But you have to have some some sort of precautionary measures in place, right? I mean, from the standpoint of if if you're getting a monthly report and somebody just decides, you know, hey, I'm going to take, let's just say hypothetically, the business has 500k in in cash to cover payroll or whatever the mar- I don't know whatever you keep as a cushion there. Is the, I mean, if you're getting a monthly report, uh, you could somebody could just take that and split, right? I mean, it, like, I guess I'm just trying to figure out: are there any stop gaps? Did the bank have to come to you for approval on anything? And again, I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of you know, for those who are looking to scale and work on the business as opposed to in the business, I think that's a concern. Maybe I'm just paranoid. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a paranoid guy who who needs to just relax and let people do what they need to do. But at the same token, I just feel like if you're that hands off and you got that much cash flow coming in on a monthly basis, you know, for 50 grand short this month for Mike, you know, 50 grand short if we're, yeah, I don't know. Am I just being paranoid? I think you are being paranoid in a way. Nowadays, the vast majority of it's electronic. So our payments is very, very, we get very little in the way of cash. In fact, I have a joke. We should charge surcharge, surcharge for the cash and give a discount for the credit cards because right. credit cards is all automatic. We've got the money straight away. Cash, we've got to take it to the bank and do all sorts of things with it, and mm-hmm. we lose it occasionally. So, yeah. um, um, look, look, it's all it's all electronic. Um, we, I've never, I've never had any problems. We, but we do watch it. We do audit it, and we do do watch certain things. But it's all very much online. It's all connected. It's all electronic. Um, pretty hard to fiddle with it. I've never mm-hmm. had a problem. Okay, and. 
I don't watch, you know, I'm not watching the bills anymore, but I've got people like, there's managers running it, management running it, and those management are, are responsible for margins. So they have to watch the costs. I don't watch the costs. They watch the costs. They've got to stay within their margins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And I would assume that the uh, the Shore 360 business, the one where you go to the Philippines and you get good labor and you're able to charge uh, more competitive rates for that, I assume that's just sort of an arbitrage business, so to speak. You charge twice as much as you pay your people, and that's your margin? Roughly. Yeah. Very very roughly, that's how it works. Yeah. Um, but there's office costs in there. Some of the overheads in that business aren't what people think they are. Uh, the, for instance, the internet in the Philippines is frightfully expensive. Mm. It's very good internet, but frightfully expensive. Mm. <laughs> and mm. electricity and stuff like that's a little bit different than you're used to. But, yeah. Um, yeah, look, roughly it's 50% labor, 50% uh, the, with Overhead. a margin on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look. Let, let's do this. Let's uh, let's bring it back to to reality here for a second, and just kind of kind of bring out the the human side of you here, because it seems like you got all this together. What what still keeps you up at night, man? What uh, what do you still what, what do you still worry about? What 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 do you feel like you don't have all together, and what worries you? I guess about twenty nineteen. Oh, I think we have a pending downturn coming again. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to be a negative person. I don't like being negative at well, all, but I do reality. feel as if there's I think there's a re- I think there's a correction coming. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like the the USA debt situation. Yeah, is it another um, GFC as you would call it? In, in terms, I think of- there's a correction coming. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's gonna, something will trigger a correction. I think, you know, even today, um, this will date this, but the, the Apple the Apple numbers that came down today are an example of things are not what you think out there. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. There's also a worldwide realignment going on as well. Uh, and things are changing around that as well. How so? Uh, what, what, what do you see from a more of a macro perspective then? What does that look like oh, to you? The Chinese is a player in the, economically, the Chinese is a player are, are very rapidly uh, going out and becoming a, a, a major force to be reckoned with in the, in the economic sense. Mm-hmm. You know, that railway line they're building to Europe, watch that. The Chinese are building a rail, a rail line to Europe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not common knowledge. At least I didn't know about that. And that's that's what what concerns you about that? Well, they're calling it the Silk Road, by the way, and you might want to follow it up. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, Europe and China will become connected. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it, it goes that's over the ocean. Change the, that's going to change the paradigms quite a bit. Now, that to me, that's not a bad thing, by the way. That's just an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's clearly an opportunity for entrepreneurs. Absolutely mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. But you got to think. You got to think globally. I think. You know, look at me, I, I was as Australian as Australian, and as soon as I had a downturn, I realised, you know what, too many eggs in one basket. That basket's not necessarily moving. That basket's Australia and moving. Mm-hmm. So I've I've now gone across three countries and, and gone across different markets. Yeah, Hong um, Kong, Philippines, and, and Australia there. Yeah, and if you look at the, the Shore 360 market, the worse things get in other countries, the better things get for Shore 360. And that's because the cost for you to deliver is significantly less than it is for others? Yep. Mm-hmm. Because you're sitting in the Philippines where the average wage of a university qualified person, and don't forget it's an American education system, it was an American colony for 40 plus 40 years, um, is $100 a week. $100 a week. Yep. Insane. So and what... that, that's the best of opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's a massive opportunity, and um, they're English-speaking because they it's an American education system in English. And so you... that's that's that. So so 
if you're sitting there with that labour now, I know AI is coming along and all sorts of disruptors are coming along, but they're always going to have that cost advantage. If that cost advantage is there, it's going to be it's pretty sustainable if things get pretty ugly in the other countries. And, and again, just so I'm clear, when you say the opportunity exists there, you're saying the opportunity exists in, 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 in what specifically? Oh, the fact that there's a very large pool of extremely low-priced but, but well-educated labour. Mm-hmm. And so a company and like... You, and we're living in a world that's becoming ever more connected. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Skype and what we're doing now, we're all connected. It's just so easy to do this now. So technology is allowing it. The world is trending this way. And countries like the Philippines are sitting there with these extremely low labour rates and connected. Mm-hmm. And so a company like yours at Shore 360, you can connect people here or anywhere for that matter with that labor and allow them to build or execute on an idea for a fraction of what they would normally have to to invest. And of course, that then makes them more competitive and probably faster to be able to take advantage of whatever that opportunity is that they're seeing. Yeah. 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 You know, just take something as simply, simple as a building company. Take, take a company that, 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 that builds buildings, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what have they got? They've, they've, they've got a whole lot of architects. They've got, they've got drafting people. Um, they've got engineers. Um, all of those can now be in the Philippines. Interesting. Okay. And they are. I've got offices full of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but covering just about every industry, the real, real estate industry, we have a huge thing with the realty industry, mm-hmm. engineering, um, drafting, um, anything to do with marketing and electronics, of course, is, uh, anything to do with, sorry, with marketing mm-hmm. uh, and then directly with the internet, et cetera, is just low, low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. But just about anything, it's, it's quite amazing what they can do. And just Coding for you, and all that sort of stuff, of course, naturally. Yeah, I appreciate your insight on all of this. Really helpful. And just for you personally, what what do you personally still struggle with then at this moment? Ah, oh, people. There's only look. All of us only have one problem in business: people, people, and people. Unless we get there's three of them, unless they all line up. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Look, mm-hmm. my challenge nowadays is probably to to generate good management. Mm. Mm-hmm. And. Um, uh, my experience is that you don't hire good managers, you create good managers. Yeah. Yeah, point well taken. So if people want more information about you, Mike, and uh, the various things that you've got going on, I know you have your main website, but I'll let you share where uh, where folks should go to get more info. Yeah, certainly. You can put my name into LinkedIn and find me, easy. Um, but uh, certainly, ohagan.com.au, there's a website out there, O-H-A-G-A-N dot com dot au mm-hmm. uh, you go in there and just put a message in the message box that will come directly to me mm-hmm. um, as well nice well mike really do appreciate you joining us here on beyond eight figures and sharing the successes and of course the struggles and just the overall mentality in terms of how you're looking at business and what you see as the potential opportunities and so on moving forward so just nothing but uh, best wishes for 2019 and beyond. Get yourself back to the heat, man. I, th- I hear you blowing th- into your hands, keeping your hands warm this whole time. It must be freezing there. So get... It's very, very cold here. Yeah. Listen, guys, listen to the audience, people in the audience out there. Be different, stand out, and own your niche, okay? Nice. Good nice. luck to you all. To you also. All right, Mike O'Hagan, really do appreciate you joining us. And, uh, again, that is ohagan.com, so O-H-A. G-A-N dot com dot A-U. So dot C-O-M dot A-U. And check out everything he's got going on with Mini Movers and Shore 360 and Shore Marketing and uh, Mike's 
business tours. I think that business tours thing is a really unique idea. You know, just going and and seeing how other. I, I could see that expanding actually to other countries. I, really, I mean, like you go into China and somebody leave, like I've heard of tours for people right mm-hmm. going to seeing, you know, the Great Wall and all of these things. But I think that there is something to be said for. And maybe this exists. Maybe I just don't know about it. But you know, in terms of uh, a business tour and going in and really getting a sense of how other businesses in other countries operate, and I think that 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 could be really interesting on a on a on a grander scale. Any uh, any main takeaways, Mary Goulet? I know you've been quietly taking notes over there yeah, and well, taking it all in. What you thinking? I think the numbers are just so huge for a moving company, <laughs> right? Thirty million, basically. Well, twenty three and. And change and and how he keeps it going and not being crushed by the competition. Mm-hmm. And it's a commodity-oriented business. Yeah, he's you know? just stealth. And it'd be real curious to know what of the revenue that he's generating, what of that is from physical products like the boxes and the tape, tape and those sort of things. Package, the paper packaging. And, and and the moving out and moving in. And in the terms insurance, of, though. He's got to have... It's got to be a big number. You know what I mean? Insurance, for yeah. sure. But it'd be, it'd be interesting to know what the, the numbers are. And, you know, we try to get into as much detail as possible here on Beyond Eight Figures. But that, that would have been an interesting question just to, mm-hmm. to know. But, Richie, anything that stands out for you, man? Uh, obviously, we covered a lot of ground here today. Yeah. It's, um, man, there's, this is where I wish we had more time a lot of the times because sometimes things seem contradictory mm-hmm. but sometimes it's only contradictory because we didn't have enough time to ask to a clarifying sure. question so like one of them is like bear down get your niche and those are all niches but like at what point do you stop making niches like yeah put all your eggs in one basket i, I know, know that someone, was his concern yeah but then you got Warren Buffett who says, put all your eggs in one basket and watch the hell out of that basket. Yeah, and that guy doesn't, right? So, no, I mean, you look at his... But but, but yeah. his his basket is putting pieces of a bunch of different businesses in one basket, right? Yeah. So that might, you know, just... Yep. It fascinates me. You got one company that's making $23 million and then you're yep. putting most of your time in the $500,000 one. Yeah. Well, all right, my mm-hmm. friends. We, uh, we definitely look forward to bringing you more awesome entrepreneurs here on Beyond Eight Figures in 2019 and beyond. Uh, and if you are looking for business advice and guidance and accountability, you want to stay current on today's best practices, tools, strategies, shortcuts, et cetera, definitely check out our mastermind called Blastermind, and that's blastermind.club. And for just $47 a month, you can have access to me on a monthly basis as well as so many others. So check out blastermind.club. For Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, I'm Steve Olsher, and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyond8figures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.